leave meeting. Hello there, welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio. And today our episode is about Make, Shakespeare, make Spielberg Great Again. Uh, that's my favorite part of this thing too, Mario, is the people that just are not acknowledging that it's a thing that happened. And so Armand White goes on a, on a, a retweeting tear of his book. <laughs> yeah. He's like, listen, buddy. I don't know. There's something else going on in the world, I think, besides Morrissey songs in your book. No, not at all. Just his book. Armand White, avid pivotal film fan. That's true. I, mean, it's, I, I, I appreciate him sometimes. He's been insane the last couple of weeks, but um, not as insane as what happened at the Capitol building yesterday. Um, you know, we're a film podcast, but we're also humans. So we're going to address this really yeah, briefly. And just, actually human. Yeah, but we're, you know, we're close enough. We're reasonable facsimiles. Uh, yeah, so the, our piece of shit president uh, incited a, a bunch of people to go storm the Capitol building after his stupid baby rally uh, yesterday. Or not yes, you know, yesterday, uh, January 6th. And they fucking did it. And they got into the building and they tore some shit up. And one person got shot and was killed. When she was trying to break through a window and then uh, three other people died from various things just around the, um, you know, within the riot, 56 police, I think, were injured and there was some damage done. And this is all to placate the feelings of a big, huge orange baby who currently lives at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, It was the most surreal and kind of messed up thing i've seen from this country in a long time that we've kind of done to ourselves it was weirdly embarrassing like because i didn't even think of like the world like what it was looking like like to the outside world until like they said boris johnson made a statement about how (laughs) like disgusting it was i was like oh geez boris johnson's like coming down on us did he look in the mirror and then make the statement I think, but he maybe he did. Maybe he looked in the mirror and he's like, "Nope, they're still worse." Yeah, they're still worse. But also surreal for me, as the positive side of this podcast, mm. uh, is a uh, you know that thirty-three-year-old progressive documentarian kicking out David Perdue. I I I, I kind of saw Warniok beating Lothier as a as a foregone conclusion, but uh, John Ostiff kicking the ass out of Perdue and reducing Mitch. McConnell to a quiet, saddened old man the next day. Yeah, Mitch McConnell, who looked like he got scraped out, like, you know, from one day to another. Congratulations to Donald Trump, successfully being the first president since Hubert Hoover to lose the presidency, the Senate, and the House in his term. Yeah, fuck you, Good job, Donald Trump. Trump. God. What a fucking piece of shit. But to, uh, to the Senate. Yeah, we did it. We did it. You know, I I, I don't know if I told, I definitely didn't tell you the story because text messaging is just now like an effort. So I went to get food the other day after my residency. There's like a diner on, uh, you know, on the main road over here. So I I put in my online order and I went over to pick it up. I got my mask on. It turns out it's like a Republican enclave. So there's nobody in the whole building is wearing masks. They're not like social distancing anybody in booths or tables um people are coming in to pick up food without even like not even like a mask pulled down just like no masks at all 
and they had Fox News on, of course. So I was just so fucking mad. I immediately went home and donated money to Asaf and Warnock. It was like it the first thing I did when I got home because I was just fucking furious. Like this is what was happening. That's what I. That's what I appreciate about living in the the pivotal film tower centered in in East Rock. It's just I'm surrounded by my enclave of liberals. I know it's the fact that I live in a fifty fifty town like drives me fucking crazy. Joseph Gordon Levitt and and Seth Rogen are there. Yep. And they've built a uh, soundstage in the whole set of that movie. So or they just do the movie day after day. On to film news. Uh, we have Studio Ghibli's Earwig and the Witch is coming out in HBO Max on February 5th. Is that the new? That's not the new Miyazaki, is it? It's not the new Miyazaki. It's, it's, it's just their, CG, it's their, their CGI movie, the one that mm. people are kind of upset about. Uh, also, we have. Uh, Jordan Peele announcing his next project. He hasn't really given plot descriptions, but he's pursuing uh, Daniel Kaluuya and Jesse Plemons to be his leads. So hmm. he doesn't. He didn't say what it is yet. No, I, I haven't seen anything. And Alex Garland uh, has a new project coming out, and Jesse Buckley is going to star in that one. I saw that. It's another. We'll movie. talk about Jesse Buckley a lot in a few weeks. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah during yeah. during the Pivotal Film Awards. Yeah, I saw that Alex Garland thing, and I. I wanted to care but i didn't i cared just because it was jesse buckley i didn't care I, I was like i skipped over the alex garland part just because you know i know you love annihilation i was pretty indifferent to it well i'm pretty indifferent to most of his other stuff like i think i it's okay it's fine but i, I mean yeah. annihilation was great i'm but i'm just not like an alex garland guy yeah i think the only thing i've loved really liked from him was was sunshine which is a danny boyle film and even that kind of falls apart in its third act but uh no jesse buckley getting getting a focus more and more is, is always a good thing. Mm. I agree. I agree. So we're still remote for this weekend, I believe next, correct? Yeah, um, we'll, yeah, we'll talk about it, but I think so, yeah. Okay, uh, so we are still not back to the list and we have a new trio of films to discuss this week. Uh, the first one, I don't, I don't have a, a segue. The first one is, uh, you know, uh, Jesse Buckley. Uh, she's a woman. <laughs> and so is Sylvie. She's also a woman. It's uh, Sylvie's love. That's good. Tell me about this new boy at the store. Hey, what's your favorite song in this? You don't know what love is. I am not answering that. <laughs> is he cute? I didn't really notice. That much. My band's playing tonight at nine if you want to come. Never met a girl who knows much about music as you do. And television. Don't get me started. I've seen every episode of everything. How was it? He's extraordinary. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Can I walk you? Life's too short to waste time on things you don't absolutely love. But how do you know if you love something absolutely? I guess when it's the only thing that matters. The van got offered a gig in Paris. Come with us on tour. I'm afraid I can't. But I think you very well could be the next John Coltrane. What are you going to be? You want to do it or you want me to do it? Uh, I could do it. Okay, good. Uh... 
early 19 or no late 1950s Harlem uh, Sylvie is uh, working in her father's kind of record store and Robert comes in looking for a job and to buy a record she tells him there's you know, no job. There's just a fake posting. But then their father comes. And I was like, no, of course there's a job. And so then they start working together. And Robert is uh, playing saxophone in a quartet. Oh, you know, and Sylvie has a partner who's off fighting. Is he Korea? Korea is he Korea? Okay. I was like, the, I was about to say Vietnam, but I was like, the timing doesn't work. But was there a war going on? <laughs> was the Korean War going on in the early sixties? Fifty-seven. Yeah. Was it going on then? Interesting. Um, funny That's what story. it says in the movie. I spent two hours trying to remember Woodrow Wilson's name today. I was very upset with myself. I was like, the president during World War One. I. I was naming all the presidents in a row, and I couldn't remember Woodrow Wilson. Anyhow, he's a tough one. He's a tough one. He should be easy. He's a super racist Ku Klux Klan member who ran <laughs> Princeton. I was sitting there going like, Ku Klux Klan member who ran in Princeton, 1912 election against Taft and Roosevelt, but I couldn't remember his name. Anyways, uh, she's engaged to be married, but her and Robert start falling in love. They uh, they get the uh, snoo snoo on. Um, Robert goes off to uh, Paris for Paris. a show. He tells Sylvie to come with him, and Sylvie's like, no. But uh, Robert did come with Sylvie because uh, Sylvie's pregnant with uh, <laughs> Robert's baby. Good. Uh, we jump it up five years, and Sylvie is now married to that unknown fiance, that uh, Lacey, right? Yeah, Lacey. Um, they have their their daughter. Uh, Sylvie is also uh, starting to pursue her dream of becoming a uh, television producer, and she's been hired as an assistant to uh, the first African American or the first African American producer that she knows on a cooking program. Mm-hmm. Um, but Lacey's kind of like, you know, I'm not a big fan of this. I like traditionalism. And Sylvie's like, go fuck yourself. And then one day while going to see Nancy, was it Nancy Wilson? Nancy Wilson, yeah. Yeah, I wanted, I wanted to say Nancy Travis for a second. That would have been a <laughs> um, You'll see a performance of Last Man Standing. <laughs> uh, go, go see the Vanishing remake. Um she sees Robert, and because she's been stood up by her cousin, Mona Lisa, who's not really purposely standing her up, she's just is pursuing bigger things in election reform. Uh, they go to the thing together, uh, then eventually they have sex again, and Sylvie kind of realizes she's in love with Robert, and then she tells Robert that they're a kid, then she breaks up with Lacey, her dad dies, Robert gets with them, blah, blah, blah. But then eventually Robert starts feeling the itch of performing again. He's trying to get his own band together. He gets kicked out of the quartet he's in because he's wants some creative control. Yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. Yada, <laughs> yada. Uh, Robert goes to Detroit uh, with the option of a gig, but it turns out it was just some hot air. Uh, and so Robert then lies to <clears throat> Sylvie to say that he's got the gig, but he needs to go out and do it by himself but goes to work in a factory, thereby abandoning his his daughter. But it's a noble sacrifice, I, it's supposed to be. Eventually, Sylvie figures, and because also because Sylvie needs to live her career, but also abandoning his daughter, mostly abandoning his daughter. Um, but then eventually, Sylvie goes like, "Whoa, wait a minute." I'm gonna. I want to get back with Robert, and so she goes to Detroit, and we're supposed to think we're getting back together. Um, 
let's 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 look at the positives. The positives are I I think the performances are really solid. I always like to see a good solid Lance Reddick performance. Uh, yeah. I just every time I see Lance Reddick, I'm like I'm glad Lance Reddick's in this. Tessa Thompson continues to be a really solid kind of leading lady. Um, I was impressed by oh god, As- Asamuga. Muka, say his name, the, the football player? Namdi Asamwa. Namdi As- wait, Asamwa? Asamwa, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, I apologize for the mispronunciation. I, and I, th- I think he does a solid job. I think everybody here, outside of um, Joe Mangaro, who was always bad, um, does, does well. Uh, but man, does this movie not work on air level. Um, the production design feels stilted and cheap. Mm-hmm. often um i'm okay with the transitional shots being obvious um stock footage that's fine but I, i'm talking about the actual set product like the actual set design yep uh the uh, pivots in, in this film's plot are nonsensical and often just don't convey any sort of actual emotional feeling and those characters reactions to said transitions are hollow and 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 this film's final act is 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 the biggest kind of travesty of it all in the fact that Robert's a fucking piece of shit and we're meant to believe it was a noble sacrifice and yet nothing presented in that way makes it seem like a noble sacrifice. I think if Robert had turned out to be like he had joined a band, but that band was like a roving gang of like murderers and he goes to like leave to protect them, that would have been a noble sacrifice. You know, like a dark man situation. If this movie was really just dark man. Yeah, if it was dark man, like I'd be okay with that. If it was like, you know, Robert sees Tessa Thompson at a fair and puts on his Bruce Campbell mask, I would have been like, you know what, that's cool. But he doesn't. He just uh, has uh, he just has uh, uh, a very insecure masculinity, and he's a coward. That's the twist. It's the dark. It's the dark man universe. It's the fourth dark man movie. <laughs> just didn't see oh, it coming. I would have been but uh, yeah, so for that reason, it's a skip. Yeah, it's weird because I didn't like hate it, but yeah, I agree me, with me either. I agree with everything you said. But when I was watching it, I was like, oh, Tessa Thompson's good. Namdi Asamoah isn't doing anything, but I don't hate that he's in the movie. He's not asked to do anything. That character's supposed to be so like level and but flat. I, it's weird. So I think your your point about the third act, I think, is really compelling because. They just didn't write anything for him to do. So he's just like standing around. Like they're supposed to be having this kind of really intense conversation in her office. You know what I mean? Like he's he's back from early from Detroit and it was just a, you know, it was just a put on. There's no work or anything like that. And this is where he ends up announcing that like he's got to go back to Detroit without her. But he spends most of that time just kind of like pacing around her office. He's not looking at the camera. He's just touching stuff. So like. I don't know who gave him acting lessons. He was he was an ex football player. Did you know that he was a Tommy, quarterback? Yeah, I did know that. Tommy okay. Tuberville gave him acting. Tommy Tuberville, yeah, yeah. Um, he's uh, so he's not even really doing anything. So I'm not sure why they need this to be a really nuanced ending if they're going to sell it right. And they're just like, you know what, you should not do is anything. Just leave, and then we'll just hope that people get that it was supposed to be for their own good. But why? Yeah. Why was it for their own good? Why is he? How what is he is, helping them, or himself? The, is it La La Land, the film where Ryan Gosling's character attempts to keep the romance together and becomes like a session musician? Mm-hmm. 
Is that is that La La Land? Yeah. Okay. This no, it's the Ides of March. Sorry, oh. it was the Ides of March. Right. I forgot Paul Giamatti playing that hard ass piano player. No, that was John Legend. You're confusing. You're confusing the actors. Wait, no, John Legend's not in Ides of March. No, Paul he's Giamatti. In La La Land. Paul Giamatti is in La La, is in Ides of March. Come on. What have you switched him? I forgot about that part where Tessa Thompson committed suicide just randomly. Um, but no, it made like, and I guess La La Land's a movie has years passed. I appreciate more and more mm-hmm. of a really weird relationship with that film. Um, but yeah, I kind of sat there going like, why is not he just try this? And like, maybe he's unhappy with that. And maybe you like push the fact that his art means a lot to him. And like, that's such a boring fallback to go to, but it's like, obviously his art, art means something to him. Well, I mean, and, I thought... but it's never presented like that. It's presented like he instantly goes like, "Oh no, I care about my family and you more than I care about any of this other bullshit." Well, the thing that I think is really weird is that he goes to visit that guy and he's like, "Oh, I have these songs," and then the guy's like, "Jazz is dead," and he's just like, "But I have songs," and he's like, "Jazz is dead," and then he's like, "Okay," except for the fact that like, I don't know, Miles Davis is doing his best work leading up to like. Bitches Brew and all of his classic records. Wait, made that beer? Yeah, made the beer. Um, and John Coltrane is still out there doing all the John Coltrane things, which means that jazz has literally, at the moment that that guy is like, jazz is dead. Jazz has probably never been as popular or more meaningful than it was at that given moment, especially in New York City or all over the world. This guy is a well-known saxophone player. He's like the king of the saxophone at that moment and he can't get a job just joining a quartet he can't just go down to any jazz club in harlem and do a set and and pull in a couple of bucks and be satisfied oh wait he could totally do that that's what he should have been that's what he was probably doing the whole time yeah it doesn't make any sense um so I guess this movie is for people that don't know anything about jazz, which is good, I guess. Um, so it's not for viewers of Soul. If you saw Soul and you were like, oh, I, my favorite part of the Soul is all the jazz, then you probably don't like, you're not going <laughs> to like Sylvia's Love. But again, Tessa Thompson is is good. I was actually probably, I was glad she wasn't great because my list is very crowded and best actress. Lance Reddick. Lance Reddick, who's good, we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. Um, Wait, really? He's in One Night in Miami. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying he's in your pivotal film list. I was like, I, I liked him in this movie. Yeah. yeah. Calm the fuck down. <laughs> um, I love when, when she goes to borrow his car and he's just like in the basement of his store just doing stuff. You know who he's got headphones my... on? Just like machines. So did you, did you ever watch, did you ever watch uh, How I Met Your Mother at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just, he reminded me of Marshall's dad through that. And like his death mm. in the film reminded me of Marshall's death. And I was just like, when Marshall's dad dies. Yep. I was just like sat there and was like, your dad, uh, your dad had a heart attack. And I'm so sorry. And, and Sylvie's love. And I'm just reminded of your dad. He had a heart attack. He didn't make it. And I'm just like, man, Allison Hannigan should have been in this like one scene just to like <laughs> deliver that line again. Cause like, there's no emotional weight to like him dying. It's just like, she's like, oh no. Well, gotta break up with my husband. <laughs> but I'm not sure why he had to die. 
why couldn't he just be like, this is messed up. You got to know this. And then she could have a fight with her dad. That would be a good scene. And then a fight with her mom. That whole her mom being like yeah, what, giving etiquette went, lessons thing is just like totally nowhere. dropped. Yeah, it was weird. But it, again, I didn't hate it. I wouldn't recommend it to somebody. But if you already watched it or you're like, should I watch it? I'd be like, well, what kind of movies do you like? And you say X, Y, and Z. How big? You're not going to hate Sylvie's Love. It's okay. It's not the worst movie ever. If you love Irreversible, Dr. Babose, <laughs> and um, you I know, don't know. Uh, Heaven's Gate, you'll love Sylvie's Love. Uh, that's, you know, those are three movies. Altered State, right in the Sylvie's Love. Now you got the road to ruin. Yeah. I got the Brittenhouse ride to ruin. Yeah. Same sometimes, drink. Tom, drinking can be a road to ruin. There you go. Especially if you if you drink every day, you stay drunk, and then you get drunker. But if you're doing you, for an and experiment, you're, and you're Danish, and you're well, if you're Danish, then you're you're yeah. Trouble. If you're American, it's fine. If you're anywhere but Denmark, are you talking about something specific, Mario? I'm talking about our next film, Scream Five. We got an advanced copy, guys. This is what this is what life is like. If you're a do a podcast, film podcast. Um, now we're talking about another round. This is the new film from Thomas Vinterberg, uh, who did The Hunt and other stuff with Mads Mikkelsen um, and other things. I don't know. He's one of those. He's he's like an Alex Garland guy. I get it. Just never been like super moved by any of his movies. You weren't a hunt. I was a hunt guy. Yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't jump on that like the, the Mads Mikkelsen bandwagon. See, I, th- I thought you would have liked Thomas Vinterberg for his like dogma connection. I like it. I like how it looks. I'm not sure that I think my problem with the dogma thing is that he's not doesn't seem to be doing anything with it, especially in this movie. Um, so you know we're in we're in Copenhagen, and um, there's a school, and high school. I think it's a high school, right? It's like a yeah. I guess I'm not sure how Maybe. the education system in like a, there works. I mean, but. those kids can't be in those those soccer kids can't be in high school. No, no, not the soccer kids, but the other kids. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Um, I don't. I don't really know how. To. There's four teachers, and they are all kind of experiencing this like 
malaise and no none more so than martin played by mads mickelson and they go out to dinner one night to celebrate someone's 40th birthday and that guy tells him about this this study that he read that says like or as a philosopher i think or who's a philosopher and a physicist or something and he's like oh people should be have a blood alcohol content of 0.05 at all times psychiatrist by the way oh he's a psych- the guy was a psychiatrist yeah okay Finn Skargubrud. Whatever. Um, there's several dots over the vowels in his name, I'm sure. Um, um, are those umlauts? Umlauts. Maybe, um, maybe he's Spanish too, so there's a there's a tilde in there. He uses lots of things. Um, should have a blood alcohol content of 0.05 at all times, and they're like, huh, this is an interesting idea. So they go ahead and they decide to do that. And what they find is that their lives are miraculously better. So imagine how much better they would be if they just bumped it up a little bit. Oh, the, we everyone's going to have their ideal, their ideal drinking number uh, until uh, they decide. You know what? Let's we have to fully embrace our 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 inhibitions, our most inhibition inhibited uninhibited selves, and get totally freaking annihilated on these drinks made with sours. Did you try to make one of those drinks, Mario? With the ice ball in the in the center, I did not. And with the absinthe, you gotta roll it on the cup and stuff. And uh, oh, as it turns out, this is a terrible way to live your life. Um, but at the in the end, a little drinking on uh, an appropriate occasion, um, such as celebrating the death of one of your friends, who maybe drowned on a boat or just died from alcohol poisoning on a boat. We're not sure that you started this experiment with. You I kind of had a gut, I kind of gut feeling he killed himself. I thought so too. I thought he was just going to kill his dog. And I'm left wondering what happened to the dog. Probably a dog actually. Dog probably killed him to be. As an old dog. It was kind of a thread throughout the movie. Um it was be- it was way better than Sylvie's love, but it was also fine. I was kind of it was one of those things I was like, well, I like that movie. Moving on. Yeah, I, I think I agree in a lot of ways. I think it's going to be a film I talk about a bit in a couple of weeks. I, it shows up in, right now, it currently shows up in some places for me. Um, but there's something about, I think it's I think it's really well written in the sense of everything these characters are doing and the, the, the arc these characters take makes sense. Um, I, I really, I really think Nicholson and Malang, who plays like Nikolai, mm-hmm. are, are doing some pretty solid work here. I'm not sure what it's My, for, but I agree with you. Yeah, I'm not sure what that's exactly the point. I'm not sure what it's for. Like I kind of look at this movie and go, like, wow, this is this is really well constructed. But I'm left kind of like watching it going like and like like it doesn't have any sort of real tangible effect. It, it's mm-hmm. it's something that it's it's like a well-crafted half-baked idea mm-hmm. is, is, is my issue with it um it the, the premise of somebody like thinking like oh we could constantly be inebriated and, and it kind of spiraling out of control is a a workable frame but it's just never done in a way that i think expands that to give a lot of breath i, I think i think maybe it's i think maybe there's there, it's trying to juggle too many balls um, it's trying to like do the Martin, the Tom, like Martin, Tommy, and Nikolai. Oh, the the other guy doesn't matter. Peter, 
Still even gives a shit about him. He's just there. I don't even know why. Which he's one's there. Peter? Is Peter the guy that gives the drink to the kid? Uh, Which one's Peter? Uh, yeah, 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 his son. The one that gives it's like a son to, so he could calm down for the exam. Was that, that his son or was it his son or no? I think kid. it was just a student. Yeah. Oh, that one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He, he doesn't matter. Um, but like I just I I think it's trying to look at so many angles of this this thing and it's just ends up not working you, you think it's maybe a midlife crisis film you think it's a film about purpose and whatnot but it just it doesn't ever get there it's it's maybe fully fleshed out with martin for sure but everyone else feels so utterly incomplete but they have yeah. interesting pers- they have interesting stories like tommy's depression you're not necessarily ever sure where that stems from mm-hmm. uh, uh nikolai's kind of like really kind of crappy marriage and somewhat toxic family life is interesting but it's never really fully developed um and these characters reactions and responses to like this entire experiment makes sense but it just ends up you just end up watching it going like this feels like it needed a couple worker like a couple lookers over to kind of like really get some meat in there even if it takes like a movie even if it takes two hours and 20 minutes to get there i'm okay with that but i just (laughs) i feel like we're not hitting what we could hit i was gonna say the same thing i I would have i would have preferred an extra 20 minutes or something if um they were gonna if they were gonna expand some of the its ideas a little more um and i think it's so well made and well shot and i think it sounds good and the acting's so good that i would have it could have supported like an extra 20 minutes i think it's i think it's problem is that and i just came out of i'm going to use some MFA speak because I just came out of my residency. It's like one of the things that I've I've been kind of harping on with motherfucking Arby's. Motherfucking Arby's. Um, is that I, I I always want people, especially in like student writing, but more so I think in anything, to figure out what like you want to say and then like say that thing. So I think the problem with the movie, with the script, I think, which I think is pretty good, is that it's it doesn't hundred percent know what it wants to do. Does it want to be sensation, like vaguely sensationalistic and cool, or does it want to say something? Cause I think one of the big problems that I had with it was that moment where Martin kind of realizes that he doesn't have to be drunk all the time to like live this good version of his life doesn't last long enough. And it's, it's really kind of, and it's not, it's the beat doesn't hit hard enough and it's, becomes very apparent when the next scene after that is him and his friends getting destroyed for 20 minutes. Um, and then him passing out on the, in the street and like hitting his head and all that other stuff. All that stuff is, he just accentuates the, the drinking so much that it, it does it at the cost, I think sometimes of some of the emotions that would have made this feel really poignant and moving. So I would have cared a lot when that guy died. Um, Or when he showed up, like, so when he showed up drunk at school, I was like, oh, geez, this guy's drunk at school. But then they were just kind of like, oh, you shouldn't drink. You shouldn't drink. You shouldn't drink. And then like, that guy's an alcoholic. Just saying like, don't drink. He's obviously going to drink. Like, so I just want, I wanted those emotions to hit like a lot, a lot harder. Yeah, it definitely goes, and and it goes like from one to 11 quite often, Mm. which is an issue too. It's it's like, 
is yeah, those emotions don't hit, and 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 it it's something that's so well crafted that you that you know it's there. Like because yeah. I think the hunt's emotions hit. Like maybe you don't respond to it, but the hunt definitely allows its central premise to kind of like breathe for enough time to where mm-hmm. okay. it makes sense. Um, and I think Vinterberg maybe not uh, on the level of like a von Trier, but has that talent ability to reach some of those emotional plateaus that sure. von Trier can. But here he's just. He's so focused, I think, on story and story has in plot progression, has in like the actual experiment and the process of the experiment that he doesn't realize it's a character study. Mm. Like it, it doesn't end up feeling like a character study. And all you want to do is spend time with these characters. You don't care about yeah. like, like you want to know why there's a need to X to go through excess. And we get well, a little reason bit of, of it, like, we don't get but, enough of it. But it feels mostly like let's go to excess because the experiment should demand it. Not right. and as much as like, oh, because we're dealing with these things in our lives um, that we're trying to like turn a blind eye to or that we're finally starting to express because of our drinking or whatnot. Well, I think that's that's a really interesting thing. And I, it brought up, it clarified something in my mind is that Vinterberg in each of these characters, they're pretty well drawn, almost like perfectly well drawn. To the point that, like, when they go to excess, there is actually a reason I think why each of them would choose to go to excess. You know, um, that one guy giving, that one guy living with the idea that he like told a kid to drink before, you know, uh, uh, a um, an exam. The other guy kind of celebrating this his wife and kids being gone when he just is getting peed on by his son. Um, that one guy is an alcoholic. You know what I mean? Like, so he's out. And then Martin, I think is my question mark in the sense that one, you know, one, I don't think he's, I don't think he's spends enough time building um, that emotional groundwork to the point where like, you can feel that when you're watching the movie that like, they all have, there's like some kind of release here. They're just like partying. Um, But Martin just had this really good weekend and just said he wasn't going to drink. And then he decides he is going to drink because the alcohol tastes really good. Like, I wonder, I want to know what's in it for him more than that. You know what I mean? Because he, does he actually know that his wife is cheating on him before that he says it? And if he does, how does he know that? Is it just that she goes to work late? Because he also says that she works nights. So how are we supposed to draw that conclusion from like any of that information? Yeah. There's, there's stuff there that's just kind of not mined all the way. Um, which, which is, which is not to say that it doesn't work because the movie works. No, it's, it's, it's a one great, of those movies that works. It's, a, it's just almost there. I, I think, I think what's frustrating about it, and it sounds like we're shitting on it is like, it's like, I'm, I would give it uh, some incredibly solid review. I think it, it's oh, yeah. in the running for my screenplay. It's, it's in the running for my supporting actor right now. Um, and an end song, but that doesn't really matter. Uh, <laughs> Cause I'm desperately looking for best original songs. Now. Just but do that I, just to do it. And, 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 but the thing is, it's just like, I think there's, I think there is so much incredible work here that it becomes frustrating that like, it doesn't feel like it reached the potential that it sought out to reach. Right. I, 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 it's like, it would be like a three and a half. If we were doing four stars, it'd be three and a half stars. I think if we were doing five stars, it would be four stars. Yeah. Um, I, it would probably get like a B plus a minus. I think I, it's a very good movie. 
it just really could have been a great movie with like a little more sheen and a little more so like just a little more little care. time a little time under the broiler as they say maybe maybe just again focus the drinking is cool drinking is <laughs> drinking is cool um but it seems if like any podcast was, is gonna say that it yeah, would be ours it seemed like that's what he was more focused on than anything else was showing cool drinking scenes yeah it, it for sure like the alcohol, like the alcohol abuse, doesn't play really any role whatsoever in it. Um, one of the things I, the funniest thing to me in that movie, um, was the entire scene where he's talking to the one kid. It's like, what do you drink? And he's like, oh, like on a Friday, <laughs> on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I drink fifteen. Fourteen to fifteen beers. Sunday and Wednesday, I'll drink like <laughs> five or six. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> what? Yeah, what is like, that's presented like. That's presented as like funny. It's just like all these kids, and it's like, who the fuck on a weekend? Like I just did a, I just I just did like a a a New Year's like group with like four of us, and I think the between the four of us we went through over five days. We went through two thirty packs, and we still had some left, Mm -hmm. Um, like a twelve pack of seltzer. And then maybe, and like one hour 12 pack of beer, and maybe a third of a bottle of liquor. Like, and that was us all going like harder than we usually go. What is going on in Denmark? And that kid's a teenager. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he was like, I drink on a good weekend, I drink between 50 and 60 beers or something, or 50 and 60 drinks. It's like, <laughs> oh, you're, man. You're, you're not, you shouldn't worry about the exams. You're not making the exams, kid. It'd be funny if he just wasn't there and everyone was like, oh, yeah, he did. What happened happened to him? Well, you know, fatty liver disease? Yeah. Well, he actually just exploded. (laughs) He didn't even die of fatty liver disease. There was just so much fat on his liver that he just exploded. He took his 61st drink and he that was it. Yeah, he died of just actual water poisoning. Oh, Jesus. I I will say that case race idea, though. That seems... If I had seen this movie ten years ago, oh boy, would See, I have tried? Would I have tried that? I've never liked being that intoxicated ever, so I've tried really? not to be that. And I, it's only happened a couple of times that I've well, ever that gotten you to have, that. You point. could have been the first person, first person in the race. Well, I would have been the person that would like that first person that, that stops at the bench. Yeah, I would have been the person that got out on or did whatever on purpose, like so I could just stop. Well, no, because like go do something the, else. The entire idea was like you run. You get to a point, you drink the beer, one person stays, then... Oh, it's like a relay race? Yeah, yeah. Because, like, it started with, like, four on each end, and it ended with two. Oh. So, you could have just been the first guy. I guess I did not understand the rules of the game. Yeah, I'm not sure I did either. And I didn't think it was important enough to to understand. (laughs) No, and it wasn't. Like, it wasn't like I was watching the whole movie, like, when are they going to get back to this game? Yeah. And, (laughs) And sometimes, Tom, rules don't matter. The rules of a game, the rules of uh, the the law, the rules and, of, of renter renting office renters, spaces, and, and the rules of society and polite society in general. Mm-hmm. And man, do Richard Jenkins and Terms of Endearment not care about those rules? <laughs> that's, her, that's her name. <laughs> <laughs> Shirley MacLaine is in this movie. 
Deborah Winger, but <laughs> this looks like Deborah Winger. And we're talking about uh, Miranda July's new film. New, new from like seven months ago. <laughs> I mean, it, wait, has it just, uh, wasn't it not released on VOD until recently though? No, it was released on VOD a while ago, but only to own. And then they took it off for like two weeks and now it's back to rent. Oh, okay. Well, so. new to us and new in geological time, Kajillionaire. Kajillionaire. After this person. And clear. Now. There's a camera there, there, and there. Cash. Nope, many order. This is not a cheap tie. Most people want to be cajillionaires. That's the dream. That's how they get you hooked. Hooked on sugar, hooked on caffeine. Ha ha ha, cry, cry, cry. Me, I prefer to just skim. So do I. February, March, April. Uh, we may have to pay an installment. Rent is an installment. It's a monthly installment. They are real characters, super unique. But you vouch for them, right? She learned to forge before she learned to write. Oh, actually, that's how she did learn to write. My favorite movies are the Ocean Eleven movies. This is exactly the kind of thing that I've been wanting. So what do your parents do, hon? Hon, you've never called me that. But you could if it was a job, though, right? You're addicted to them. They're my parents. In what sense? Old Dolio. That's right, Old Dolio. Uh, and her parents, uh, Robert and Teresa, they live in Los Angeles. And they, they run some pretty small-scale grifts. Uh, like stealing out of P.O. boxes and trying to return the merchandise from wherever they can get it from to stores for cash or um, looking into massage gift cards and trying to trade them in for, um, you know, a cash Ox. value or a rock. <laughs> what about that rock? Can you shave that rock in 20 minutes? Um they try, they are about to get evicted from their off, rented office space uh, that's attached to a bubble factory. Uh, they need to come up with $1,500 in two weeks. And so old Dolio kind of uh, has this long grift that she's developed is that they're going to, they're going to fly to New York and then her and her parents, and then they're going to get right back on a plane and fly back. And she's going to say, uh, that her luggage got lost and then they're going to re they're going to, she's going to take out some insurance and they're going to reimburse her for that $1,575. Uh, it's good, good and easy, except for the fact that two things happen. One is that that check might take six weeks to get processed. And the other is that they meet on this flight, uh, Melanie played by Gina Rodriguez, who, uh, really seems to like these people and who they confide in in their grift scenario. And she has some more grifts of her own, um, namely in befriending old people and, and getting invited to their house and having those old people perhaps offer them antiques that they can then sell at antique stores. Um, there's a lot of character things like attached to this. 
Uh, old Dolio has some attachment issues very clearly to her parents. Uh, Richard Jenkins and Deborah Winger aren't great parents. They don't even really seem to like old Dolio. Um, but Melanie seems to like her enough. Melanie seems to like all these people enough. Um, no, I won't spoil the ending because it's the ending's good. Um, I'm assuming you probably guessed that I love this movie, right? Loved it. Fucking loved it. The only yeah, thing that I, I wish that. the thing I wish I had done differently is that I was watching it um on Tuesday. So I was like half focused on the movie. Um, which I that's how I know that I liked it because it kept pulling me back in and half focused on my phone, what was watching what was happening in Georgia. That's what happened with another round for me. Eventually yeah. I put down my phone and enjoyed a turkey burger I made. Same thing. Not the turkey burger, but I put down my phone. I made a pretty solid turkey burger. In the just ladies. in the middle of the movie. Ladies. Well, you can do that. You can see the your, turkey you, burger doesn't take a lot of effort. No, no, but you can see your television while you make a turkey burger. Yeah. You don't have to I have would have to stop making a watching whatever I'm watching to make the turkey Ooh. burger. When I when I when I move into the new pivotal film towers, I will have to consider kitchen to television. That's true. Thanks. Blueprints. Get some get some blueprints together. Um, I thought it was great. I think it's one of my my favorite movies of the year. Um, I think it's it's I love it. This movie. Ah, pff, I didn't even mention it. this movie is written and directed by Miranda July, who made a movie that I love. Um, me, you, and everyone we know. Um, I used to think that I really liked that movie because I was in a big John Hawks fan. Like I was in a, I was in like a super John Hawks phase when I saw that movie, and I was like, he just makes everything so good. Um, but no, it's just a great movie. I love Miranda July's aesthetic. I love her, um, her narrative aesthetic and her filmmaking aesthetic. I think this movie is really smart. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it, in a lot of ways, plays like a cartoon, and I think that's on purpose. Um, there's parts of this movie that I think play like a little bit like a Matthew Barney movie. Um, I think the bubbles are very, are very art. Um, he's the guy that Barney. did the cream master cycle and river of fundament, which I found on Vimeo, by the way, uh, he's a visual artist. Um, wow. look up the cream master cycle afterward, John, and you'll be like, Jesus fucking Christ. He did the redoubt at the, that was at Yale last year. Oh, that shit! Yeah, that was terrible. No, but his his Cree Master Cycle stuff is very this visual. Redoubt uh, was that was based on that like metal sculpture guy, right? Yeah, but so I'm not saying Redoubt. I'm saying like some of the earlier stuff, some okay. of the more surrealist. Um, I mean, it stuff. wasn't it wasn't his fault. It was terrible. It was the fact that that sculptures that art, sculpture artist was terrible. He did he did the sculptures. Oh, he's a terrible sculptor. In my opinion, um, he's also really not- quickly Matthew Barney. Is that Barney, yeah. I'm not an art critic guy, so I didn't like your stuff, but I will defer to people who appreciate sculptors. What I would say is that your I stuff was, wasn't for me. I was sad that they moved to what what was in the room where the Matthew Barney stuff ended up. I was kind of mad they moved that stuff out because I kind of liked it a lot. Um, but let's we don't have to talk about Yale Art Gallery <laughs> exhibits. Um I thought I thought there was a lot of really interesting visual stuff going on. Um, uh, Evan Rachel Wood, who plays Old Dolio, uh, is dynamite. And I don't know if I, I just never thought about her as like a good actress because I don't watch Westworld. Um, for some reason, Evan Rachel Wood stopped being a person for me when she was married to Marilyn Manson. But I think that was a long time ago. Um, 
so I was happy to kind of reconnect with her. Um, and Gina Rodriguez is, was fantastic. I mean, she's kind of like a breath of fresh air in um, in the movie. And uh, yeah, that was great. I mean, love you, Gajillionaire. You, you don't appreciate Evan Rachel Wood's performance in The Eyes of March? <laughs> she was in The Eyes of March. He's the one that commits suicide. Remember when The Eyes of March, when, remember when Ryan Gosling was going to win all the Oscars for The Eyes of March? Remember when everyone's going to win all the Oscars for The Eyes of March? Everyone was so excited for that movie. And then <laughs> it came out and everyone was like, it's fine. She was also pretty solid in the wrestler she was she was in the wrestler yeah it wasn't true. the wrestler after she was ma- she was with uh, i don't even know i forgot never, she was in the wrestler. i don't think they ever got married they didn't yeah. get married no like oh they got engaged but she was with um marilyn manson when she did the wrestler oh okay so yeah i like evan rachel wood but i do too it, it um, just wasn't oh she's she was married to jamie bell yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, this is fine. <laughs> um, it, it suffers the ultimate. This is fine review for Mario, which is worse than a bad review, I guess. Uh, in the sense, and it's the same thing with in me. In the sense that it gives us you, less to talk about. <laughs> me and you and everyone we know. Um, no, my problem with this film is like I really love the third act. I really love when um, Melanie and Old Dolio kind of like connect. Um, and they have like like a real interpersonal relationship because I, I think when I think Miranda July has a knack for really doing solid interpersonal relationships that feel natural and that force their actors or maybe she just chooses the right actors to really delve into that um, mm-hmm. but the thing you say about it feeling like a cartoon is is my issue with it is the fact that those that first two acts uh well the first act at least the, the second act is, is a little bit is a little more consistent but that first act is such a painful experience for me sitting like watching richard jenkins and deborah winger do kind of a, a like i like i texted you a looney tunes sort of situation mm-hmm. um was just so such an, an unappealing viewing and watching Evan Rachel Wood kind of have absolutely no emotional front, like have having this kind of blockade in front of her um, and kind of just awkwardly rolling through every scene just took me out of everything. And, and I sat there for the first like 50 minutes of this movie, just kind of hating my entire experience with it. And once, once her and Melina get together, once they go to the check cashing place, Everything from then on out works really well for me. Everything from then on out is ex- exceptionally well done. Um, and and it, it is always true to like that first act. It's, it's not like a sudden shift um, that playing to the $525, like it, it is, I appreciate Miranda July's strict coherence to what her characters would do. Mm-hmm. She always feels like a, a creator who, and what they would feel. Kinda, who kind of just meets her characters. She doesn't feel like she creates her characters. She's just like, oh, of course, this person who I popped up in my head would do this, because why not? Um, and, and so all that really works for me. It's it's the unfortunate part that the introduction to them is in the middle of their, their story. And it is, they are some of the most unlikable people <laughs> you can ever meet. And so for the until you meet that kind of like, 
human side until you meet that kind of like warmer side that that side that's not that side that's willing to run a grift but isn't necessarily all about the grift is about just like you know and, and when the grift gets real like pulls away from it um before then i'm just kind of sitting there going like i don't want to spend any time with these people and i am so detached from it because it doesn't it feels so surreal it feels like it has such a magic like a magical kind of realistic quality to it um a little bit that, until you find out that it doesn't Ugh. yeah no for sure but it, it but in that first act like when you don't know any of that you're kind of just sitting there going like why why and it, it makes it you, you appreciate the by the third act you appreciate everything that came before it um, but it doesn't change the fact that I can't get over the fact that the first 40 minutes of watching this film were, were extraordinarily painful for me. See, that's the thing. I, and I, I feel, um, obviously, I feel the opposite. A little that's, bit of it made up for it, but that's we won't not, get into that. <laughs> that's not even worth um, describing. No, I thought it was really, I thought th- the opening I thought was really clever in a lot of ways. And it, it didn't pay off like instantaneously, but I thought it paid off like the way that she, old Dolio kind of jumps before she goes into the post office. When they show that stuff in the previews, you're just like, what the fuck is happening here? And like when they're kind of ducking under like the fence for the bubble factory and all this other stuff, it seems really silly, but then it kind of, it's, it has a reason for it. And then you realize that this reason pretty quickly that the reason is that the dad has all of these like weirdo rules about life and they're just all trying to follow them to the, to the best of their ability. And you find stuff out about like the reason that she jumps is because they triangulate. uh, She believes her dad believes that they triangulate security cameras in the shape of a pentagram. So if you stay out of the corners, then you stay out of the picture frame, which, you know, Gina Rodriguez's Melanie doesn't bother to tell her is really stupid but it's just like what he believes. And so she believes it too. And I think that's stuff is really interesting. Um, and then I got real, I mean, the, the scene where she sees the baby trying to nurse um, is fucking great. I love that Evan Rachel Woods, all of her emotions in her face because um, Miranda July has just cloaked her in this old school nineties warm-up jacket and just yeah. some kind of pant situation. There's just huge pants. I don't even know what these pants are, but they're just like, completely straight it's, it almost seems like, like she's wearing like a hoop around her it's like 2018 billy eilish yeah but this seems so wide they make it they make it well, seem like it's 2018 billy eilish i yeah. guess so um i thought it was i, I think I, I thought the costuming was really interesting because like they essentially wear the same clothes all the time and i always know when i enjoy a movie a lot when i start thinking about like what does what do the costumes mean what are they trying to say and then that, they, that plays into its like cartoon element. Well, sure, exactly. And that's kind of why I thought it was like, like a cartoon, but I love the fact that I think it means something. I think she did it on purpose. And I think the introduction of Melanie, the fact that she, you know, old Dolio tells her to wear more clothes um, is all, it, it's representative of a character. And I think that's really smart. And then you had, you said that really cool thing about the fact that like Brenda July is really good with like, um, she's, like what characters do is consistent with you know what with like throughout the whole movie so like from beginning to end they're doing the thing they should be doing but i think that's really interesting is that their feelings are the same throughout the whole movie and that they she allows them to develop so i love the fact that old dolio when in that third act when she's having that conversation with um gina rodriguez about like what it means if her parents take the money 
and that she has you know if they took it they're terrible and if they didn't take it like i forget what that what that means but if they left her 525 or it means if they didn't take it that means they want to kind of want to reconcile but if they just left her 525 dollars, it would mean we are who we are but we wish you a good life and all this other stuff and then they end up leaving her 525 dollars worth of stuff it's just it's like Melanie was just part of like a long grift for them, even though it wasn't for old Dolio. Like they never told her about it. Yeah. Um, it's super fucking interesting. And the thing I love is about this movie, I think is because I, I think when I watch it again, when I'm not like super anxious about the like political, you know, existential political realities of our country is the stuff that they don't say. So the fact that like they could afford three plane tickets to New York. Well, they would, she wins it as like a prize. She won. I thought she only was. One, I thought she only won two for the prize. She won only two for the prize. Maybe she only wins two. So I thought they were talking about the prize, and but then she just, definitely wins it as a prize. She definitely wins some tickets as a prize. I'm okay, not well, sure I thought she was a, was like trying to win it as the prize. I, so again, this is where the po- <laughs> this is where the politics have confused me a little bit. But not only that, like, so her parents probably also paid for that meal at that really expensive restaurant. You know what I mean? They bought five hundred and twenty-five. So? I, I I figured they grifted that couple again to get that meal. No, because that girl wasn't excited to see them. So and yeah, she, so I she thought they clearly grif- I thought recognized they, him. Yeah, I thought they grifted the 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 parents. Mm. I wasn't sure how. What based on what? What would they use? Because they usually use old Dolio to start their grifts. I don't know, man. But then they bought all that stuff. But they it, would, 500- it would fit. It would fit like what they've done. I suppose so, but I think it would all. It also fits if they really had a bunch of money, and sure. they just and it was this thing that he did to. It was just this. It was like a lifestyle choice that he made at some point to kind of address some kind of insecurities about himself, or to gain control over things, or to to be constantly trying like sticking it to the man. Maybe something happened to him. Um, I don't know, and it, but the fact that it was a possibility, I thought was really interesting. Yeah. The fact that like they didn't need to do any of this, and they just did it because this is, this is, and I, th- I think it attached to the line like this is who we are. I thought was so fucking interesting, um, and something that they, I don't think they do in movies in twenty twenty. Leave a bunch of stuff, like leave a bunch of character development and possible, possibly narrative development stuff, just kind of unsaid. Can I, can I say a can I say a woke criticism of this movie I have? Yeah, yeah. slightly. Um, this will be a spoiler alert since Tom doesn't want anything kind of ruined. Do you kind of feel the relationship in the end is has a, has a predatorial edge to it? No, I think it was I, about I think it was about intimacy. Um, because everyone kept trying to touch old Dolio through the whole movie, and I think but there's I think the Melanie character is really that's an interesting point. Um, because um, my wife was also confused as to why they were kissing at the end. And I think if it was predatory, predatory is actually maybe a good word because I think Melanie wanted that level of intimacy with somebody because her her mom just sent her like the duplicates of stuff that her mom, that she bought. You know what I mean? She'll buy two of something and send me one. Her mom only, I don't know where her mom lived. Got the impression not super far. Or did she say, ah, stupid Tuesday politics. Um, did she only talk to her mom on phone? Her mom Tuesday had politics. 
Tuesday politics were great. Yeah, Tuesday, well, no, not at the time I was watching this. There was a there was a little up in the air that at that moment. Um, that was when Ossoff and, and Purdue were flipping back and forth. Did you see my text message like early on, or just like Wasserman's like this is done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love Dave Wasserman. He made me feel really happy. And the needle. So here, you know, thumbs up to New York Times the needle, which called it like instantaneously. Which is like, yeah, this is gonna happen. Don't worry about what's happening, but it doesn't matter. I think she was craving not so much a girlfriend, but like the maximum allowable intimacy with somebody. Oh, for sure. But I just think old Dolio isn't necessarily the one that she should have pursued it with in the sense that old Dolio doesn't understand still how the world works. Uh, yeah, perhaps. It felt, it, felt unchar- it felt uncharacteristic for somebody like Melanie to have done that, I guess. Well, like, yeah, I think if I, if, I could, if I could level a criticism, I guess, towards the movie, and it would be, I guess, in regards to that, something like that, where I'm not 100% sure what is in it at the very beginning. Uh, maybe the thing that's in it for Melanie is the fact that um, Richard Jenkins and Deborah Winger are so open with her. And yeah. that they're so revealing of themselves that she just kind of wants to be around these people. But I think the fact that she kind of develops this old, this grift instantaneously was weird. Although I think the nature of the grift and that amazing fucking scene in that old guy's house when he's dying, that scene was amazing. Um, especially when she's playing the piano. That shit was uh, that was oh. that was my favorite, my favorite scenes in the my favorite scenes in the bathroom. Oh, when oh, in this uh, with the space, Stars. yeah, that was great yeah. too. Yeah, that was great. Um, too. I, I guess, I guess, what I would have liked to have seen is Old Dolio in the end be more um, intimately assertive. Like she still seems really timid and scared in the end, and I think if she's more physically assertive, I would have, I would have been okay with it. But yeah, it definitely felt like I don't know a bit of coaching on Melanie's part mm. at the end, and that I think that, that's that, fair. That kind of left like a sour taste in my mouth. I think that's but. fair. Um, especially because I don't think they changed the costumes I think are really important I think the fact that Old Olio goes out that morning in the same clothes that she's been wearing the whole time yeah. I think is I think I think you're you're not wrong and I, I think, think you're, I think I think it's I think it's a, a good a fair point I think I also would have I think it could have also worked a little better if they just excised that scene where Melanie like from night one is ready to fuck <laughs> mm. like like where Melanie just is kind of like sitting in the bed in kind of suggestive way and like the bed's made next to her but she's kind of like suggesting like or and like even old dolio kind of picks up on what she's saying like i kind of just would have got maybe if we just got rid of that yeah Um, there was there seemed like there was um i I wanted old dolio to take control of the situation i wanted old dolio to take control of that situation i want melanie to go along with it i want a little less seduction i think yeah, you're right. And because even in the house, like before that scene in that old guy's house really takes off, there's a suggestion that she's like coming on to her. And I do remember feeling like ah, she should like, I get it. I think I get it. But I think it's just it's playing a little bit too much like just like a straight come on without yeah. like, I think because the language is the language is framed humorously, but not as deep as some of the other moments in the film. Well, Branch of July, like, definitely just off of... I never saw... What is her second film? The Medium? I don't know. I don't um, remember. But Me and You and Everyone Reno is definitely has sexual awkwardness. 
But I think when playing that sexual awkwardness with Melanie saying, saying like, I could put on pajamas, just plays like Melanie's kind of a grown woman who knows how to kind of like exude, the future, the future, ex, the future. Yeah. Exude that sort of confidence and old Dolio is just not there yet. And I just wish, I wish it didn't feel to a degree that Melanie's like running a weird ish, not grift, but like running a weird sort of like game on think old it's, Dolio to kind of get to the end she wants. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of wanted Melanie to be like, this is what I want. And I'm like, 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 Definitely showing interest, but letting old Dolio take the lead. But the entire time, it felt like Melanie was like, I am guiding you to like where we're going to fuck. I think that's super fair. And I think, um, yeah, it doesn't necessarily get in my way of appreciating it because I think it's the ends are the same. Like the, 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 the end game. It wasn't the intention. The intention uh, wasn't that at all. Yeah, the end game emotionally, I think, is supposed to be where it's supposed to be. But you're right. I think some of that stuff could have been a little more nuanced. Mm-hmm. Um, so it didn't. So I, I think it's supposed to feel like a grift. It's supposed to feel like a, ju- a juxtaposed grift yeah. for different reasons. But it felt very, um, it felt pretty sexual pretty early on. And I don't think it, in, by like the the middle of the third act, it seemed like it had very little to do with that, although that was there. And so there just didn't seem to be enough of the other stuff in regards to old Dolio in the beginning of the thing, like you said. And I, and I, I definitely think if actually, and I think it would have worked well for like the, 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 the intent too. Like if we had played less with the sex sexuality of Melanie, like when old Dolio and her after the gifts and old Dolio starts like touching her shoulder mm-hmm. and Melanie kind of shudders. I think that would have been like a so much more powerful scene if maybe like Melanie had been comfortable with what she does, but she's never like sexual, like, like never trying to be exuding sex towards somebody. Like I think, and I think it would work great when they try to have the threesome in the, uh, like the fact that Melanie's like, Whoa, yeah, no, this is weird. Like, and then Melody's just like, I'm comfortable wearing what I wear. This is what I am, but I'm not trying to necessarily seduce. Because she's like, from the first, not from the first moment, but from like when Old Dolio like it stays there and plays, it feels like Mel- you know what Melody wants. Mm-hmm. And I think if we had it played up to that, if Melody had just been like, I wear this because I'm comfortable in it, but like we had played with like a little bit of Old Dolio's like weirdness with it, but like Melanie was just aloof. And then it eventually right. leads to like when old Dolio kind of touches her and then Melanie shudders. It would have been like, oh, that's great because we know we now know for sure Melanie wanted that from the get-go, but she was also just being herself. Right. And whereas I think- it ends up being played off as just like Melanie's trying to like groom. It's like a, it's got a weird grooming aspect to it's it a, that I didn't, I didn't Yeah, know. it's a slight betrayal of the cartoonish like uniform that Miranda July has developed for the characters in this, um, where it's, it represents something very specific, but it's not always carried through in the narrative. Somewhere Miranda July is going to be like, did I just get canceled? (laughs) By Mario. (laughs) These fucking two drunk assholes just cancel me. It's the, it's the headline. No, I I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't think, I I don't think it's, I I just think it's, I think it's it's a fair point. I don't think it's delicately, slightly delicately handled. Yeah. I don't think it's, it's, I don't well, think so that was ever the intent. I just think it's just like there's. It was like it could have been great because I like that 
the second, it, I love that second to the third act, like I said, mm-hmm. but just like the thing that made me, that made me maybe, and maybe that made me not appreciate the first act as much. Maybe if it was more aloof and maybe there was, maybe if Old Dolio and Mel- Melanie had been kind of met together with that same sort of innocence versus aloofness, mm-hmm. I would have been okay with that first act. Mm-hmm. But because I still had like this hesitancy with that third act, that's what maybe still never get over uh, a first act I hated. Yeah, 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 and I think I think what you're describing is one of the things that I kind of like sometimes in the, especially in movies like this. And this reminded me a lot of, um, a Clockwork Orange. <laughs> no, uh, although they did use a Clockwork Orange music in some kind of in some movie I saw recently or some show, and it was really weird. Um, no, it reminded me a lot of High Life where it's imperfect in a lot of ways or like a, any Claire Denis film, except for Beau Travail, where there's just like a lot of stuff where we're just kind of like, what? Or like, what is happening? Or like, that doesn't necessarily look right, but it's cool. It doesn't necessarily mesh with what I think is happening, but it's, it like works emotionally on me. I think there's some of that here Yeah, where it's like, it it's, it's doing its job, but because of the nature of um, art, that's really personal it doesn't always hit the spots and i think i'm going through that a little bit like working on my book where like i think stuff is working really well and then other people read it and they're like well that is not working as well as as you clearly think it is and i'm just like oh you're right it isn't working and then i'm just like but i really like it so how do i make it work and maybe it's easier with playing piano yeah yeah exactly and maybe it's easier when you're writing a novel because you can just like sit back and like just cut it out. But if you're making a film, you've shot whatever you shot. And then you're just kind of like, well, I just have to make this work. I don't know. I've never made a movie. I don't know how those decisions get made, but I'm just, I'm putting some, I'm projecting some shit onto Miranda July here. Yeah. Take that Miranda July. Speaking really quickly, uh, not to go back to the last film we talked about, but Bo Travai, did you watch another round's ending and go like Bo Travai? This is, is this trying to be Bo Travai? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was like, like, is this an homage or like, what's going on here? And it didn't, it didn't do. The I don't same. think it was trying to be. Do we think, I don't think it was, it was trying, trying to be? be? I think it was trying to hit a say a similar beat of like suggesting a kind of freedom. I think it was just trying to hit like loose, yeah, looseness. Didn't the song wasn't as good? Still going to be nominated. Um, and it just it went oh, on. I... It went on too long, and I thought that as it went on that it would become more choreographed because they suggested some choreography with like the, the, the blackout drunk scene. Yeah. Um, and I was like, Oh, this would be cool. And I had, I had read a couple of reviews where like, Oh, you know, you're going to the ending, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, it'd be cool if they kind of like got all these kids in sailor hats to like dance with Mads Mikkelsen. That's pretty good while they're drinking. That's like, that's a good it's idea. Just ended up like a, she's all that sort of usher moment. Yeah. And his shirt got untucked and he was dancing weirdly. And people didn't even seem to be like acknowledging him all the time. And I was like, what are they, they're just kind, are of, they they're just kind of clapping? Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah but no, weird. go back to Kajillionaire. Uh, I, I think it's a, a well, solidly well-made film. It just didn't speak to me. To yeah. Like it spoke to you. Which happens, Mario? Which happens? I know. I want to address something that you brought up two weeks ago when we recorded our last week I episode. I don't remember that. <laughs> um, we talked about Soul, and remember you texted me like right after we finished, and you're like, "We didn't talk about the soundtrack at all." 
Oh, right. And that was one of the things that like people talked about a lot, like in the reviews, like the score. Um, there's just a couple of soul th- points that I want to make in regards to like its creation and like how it works. I thought Jamie Foxx, who is not an actor that I really like very much, I thought Jamie Foxx was really good. Oh, yeah. I thought Tina Fey, who is an actress that I like a lot, was, was really not terrible. very good at all. <laughs> no, I agree. Um, I thought the score when it wasn't doing its kind of um, 80s, 80s kind of, you know, tech movie. Bah, bah, yeah. Bah, 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 bah. Was tra- when it wasn't was, trying to be ethereal. When it was trying to be jazz, it works, but it's it trying to really, be yeah. ethereal, yeah. And so I think it's for, it's it it got a spot, I think, on my, like, my long list because of those jazzy moments, which, again, I'm a big Nine Inch Nails guy. One of my favorite things about I think it's like late I'm pretty Nine confident it's on my list right now. One of my favorite things about late Nine Inch Nails is the fact that Trent Reznor has leaned into it is um, on my list. Not only instrumental music, but like pretty spare and austere instrumental music with just a piano and like a, a little bit of something percussive going on in the background or whatever. It sounded exactly like that, and it's awesome. And I think it really worked in this really weird way for a movie where it really shouldn't have worked. Can we, I, I do want to say this just about score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we just say, like, I understand this is a weird year, but holy shit, this, dude, the scores suck this year. Scores are bad. Like, I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, like, my nominees currently stand has Midnight Sky, Invisible Man, Sound of Metal, Wolf Walkers, and Soul. Yeah, mine is off the top of my head, uh, Mangrove, Soul. No, I think, no, I think maybe Soul, Mangrove, Soul, um, Wolfwalkers for sure. Um, I th- Kajillionaire just cre- went on there yesterday. And then I think Tommaso, which is a really, I, uneven, seen, I would see Tommaso. Yeah. It's really uneven, but it's kind of compelling and it's, and it works. But I think in a different year, it wouldn't have even, if that unevenness would have like disqualified it instantaneously, but it's just been a kind of absence this it's, year. It's of, like, weird. Really, from, like, really good stuff. From a film score standpoint, this year was last year was terrible. From like a actual album standpoint, for me, like it was a really solid year. Mm. So it's a weird kind of dichotomy there. It was weird, but yeah, I just wanted to address those two things with Soul because we didn't get to it because we were talking about you know all the other stuff. But I, I will. I, I will still say this. I, I still. I still love Soul quite a bit. Yeah, they said, which is fine. I just. I and I like it. I just wanted to address those specific things that we literally didn't mention at I'm all. Start, I'm starting to wonder if saying my second favorite Pixar movie was maybe a little rash. <laughs> <laughs> no, you said it was your. Fa- it was the best one. Oh, I sorry. So, second favorite to Incredibles, but best one overall. I still think it. Might, I still think it is the best one. Hmm. I'm still sitting here thinking it. There's a lot of people who agree with you that think that it's a kind of like inflection point for Pixar where they've kind of made, and that's the thing, maybe it's because my kids are super cool, but my kids understood it perfectly and enjoyed it. But there's a lot of writing going on about like, did Pixar finally make a movie that's not for kids? Which is stupid because there's blobs and Tina Fey eats a pizza that shoots out of her butt. Like it's totally for kids. I think there's jokes in there that are for kids, but it's just not necessarily... I don't know. Is it necessarily doing 
I mean, I guess inside in the same way, like inside out, outside of like missing homes, not doing this, doing anything. I don't, I don't think Up is for kids either. Like, it's not a kids movie. I don't, I don't think, think Wally is a kids movie. And I don't necessarily. I don't think, think Pixar makes movies for kids. I don't. Think I just Co- think yeah. I think Soul's the most consistent with its like. The reason I put Soul's their best movie, and I would probably still put their second best movie at like fucking Bugs Life, is the fact that like, it's they set like Soul and Bugs Life set out with a message from the get-go and stay consistent with that throughout. Mm. Like they, they have a kind of um, exciting action, um, inciting action, and they carry that through. Uh, all their, most of their other films, you know, some of their most widely hailed films like Wally and um, Up, get distracted by fucking noise and bullshit yeah i mean and, and i think i think soul and like bug's life and to a lesser degree inside out uh, i think inside out kind of is uneven with kind of just it's like kiddiness yeah um i think that it's a movie that has focus and i think soul has the most focus on its central plot point yeah and we're gonna and i'm we, we did a whole episode about that i think my i would argue that coco is probably the most not for kids one if only because it's a whole movie where it says to a kid that's watching it, everyone in your family is going to die. Yeah. I guess my like, issue with Coco was like, I, I hope you enjoy the rest of this movie. My issue with Coco was like, I watched it. And I was just like, Oh, whatever. That's a movie. Like I, there's something, it's not necessarily anything to do with how Coco was made or how it was put together. I just, there's something about it I don't give a fuck about. And I don't want to, I'm, I'm really not saying this in a kind of. Um, it's still, it's a great movie. I think Coco not elitist, extremely well made. But. I think there's some, there's some movies that get made and maybe some TV shows or some, whatever, where it's, I think it's kind of important for you. I don't want to mean this. I don't mean this in any way. Okay. I know we're doing this digitally. I'm literally looking in your face. If you have kids, Coco in my hits. face. I'm looking inside your face. If you have kids, Coco hits in a different way, because then you have to turn to them, and there's a conversation that might be coming up, and it's it's a, it's yes. a thing that you yes, know what Tom, I mean. Nobody, no, no woman wants me to inseminate them. I understand. <laughs> but it's it's one of those things that like I I know they don't people try not to say that stuff and I'm not breaking any ground here. It was just, I could see if you saw Coco without kids, you're just like, that's good. But if you had kids, there's like an emotional component to it. That's just kind of like intrinsic to being a parent and which pisses me off a little bit because that's super manipulative. You know what I mean? They knew what they were doing when they went into it. They're like, Oh, parents are going to have a fun night tonight. Um, which is bullshit. You know what I mean? Because, and the kids aren't even going to learn anything and you're taking over an opportunity for a parent to have like a real conversation about that with real ramifications, because then it just turns into a nascent fear that a kid has because they don't understand it because they just think everyone turns into a ghost skeleton and goes to live in this very cliched, horribly designed world um, full of more ghost skeletons. And that's not the case. If I ever had kids, I don't know how I'll describe that to them. Because I'll just be like, yeah, that's bullshit. You just die and get reborn again. You just forever tell and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And you never escape it. 
No, because all of your kids are going to have Christian friends are going to that are going to tell your kids about Jesus, and you're going to be like in heaven and all this other stuff, and you're going to be like, listen, listen about the heaven thing. Jesus is a pretty pretty good guy. Jesus is all and right. I also believe in a God. But when you die, it just keeps happening forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And, ever. and not swearing is not going to keep you from getting to wherever that it is you're going. Don't worry about it. As a matter of fact, not swearing is going to lead you straight to hell. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I love when my kids swear and everyone's like, <gasps> and I'm like, what do I care? <laughs> I, sometimes think, I definitely sometimes think I, I, I am not built to have children because I... Oh, I'm every totally time, every time, have children. Every time I'm around, every time I'm around a child, I'm just like, I want to teach this child something that that child should not yet know. If you met, if like, you I want to be like, hey, eight-year-old child, let's talk Keynesian economics. You have, if you, because kids, with... kids can get it. They're not yeah. stupid. No, if you hang like, out with pre, my kids, pre six, like... pre six, sure. Post six, they have those kids int- can pick up stuff. They have interesting things to say. If, but there if, are if, facts of existence. But there are facts of existence. So economics might be easier for them to understand than like the basics, the basic functions of of humanity. You know what I mean? My, this is my thought process with that. I like how we always go off topic in the end of the podcast. If you care about movies, we're done. Um, <laughs> my thought process with this is like I think with my dealings with children who are intelligent and not dumb fuck children who would invade the capital or vote for Kelly Loper um, or <laughs> David Perdue is the fact like when a kid doesn't get it, it's, it's not necessarily the fault of the, the child's like mental development. It's more the fact the person teaching them hasn't found the, the entrance point yet. Right. Cause I think you could teach a kid at a certain age, almost anything. You just got to find that in. Yeah, you, and, and I, I say this as a person without a kid, so you can no, call me true. a fucking moron. But from everything you said, that I believe that's a true statement. Yeah, yeah, it's a one hundred percent a true statement. And we just need to stop. And we just need to stop teaching, like treating kids with kids, treat treating children with kid gloves is a weird sentence. Well, to you make. know what? I feel like kids miss awesome stuff if you hold stuff back from them because it might be too hard or difficult for them. And I, I you think, don't know if it's too difficult for them because they're a person. I mean, both of your children in 2016 were below the age of 10, correct? Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. Um, and both of them took that really hard. Yeah. Because I and took I think, it hard. And they, but that we did the same thing. But I think it teaches right things. We did the same thing yesterday, is that I was just sitting for like two and a half hours watching this, and they would come up and we would explain to them what was happening, and then we would get really angry about it, and we would just be like, This is what's happening. Like did you did you did you tell them about like the the good stuff? Yeah, they okay. they love it. So we we've been really focused on this transition of power thing. So like we got really excited in our house when Mel, Miguel Cardona got nominated for um uh secretary of education yeah <laughs> but you exist on you exist in a, a world of ab- political absolutes and we don't so we could get excited no, about it i i understand it's better than betsy devos but now that we're gonna have a, by the way liberal pivotal film people now that we have all three <laughs> oh did you see she resigned no I, oh did she yeah but anyways, this is this what will happen to this podcast is now Mario becomes 
a super liberal again. Mario and, and Tom, starts, Mario and Tom and, sit and, on the same side of the aisle and start just arguing about. Yeah, where Tom Tom is, Tom is a bit more of a moderate, and Mario is a fucking crazy person, and sees how badly Meriden schools were handled, and says like, "This is this is." Ah. I mean, I understand what happened, but like at well, the same time. So I'm going to say that apparently teachers unions are not super happy because he wasn't a teacher for very long. Mm. That's a real thing. He became a principal in Meriden very quickly. He was only and a teacher Meriden for- schools are not great he was only a teacher for four years alleged allegedly and so people in, it's not like i didn't sub yeah, in yeah. meriden for a year but <laughs> meriden schools aren't allegedly great they're terrible allegedly um, but yeah so that's that's a real thing this is and this is the country we live in guys is that like you could be on the same side of the island but like, he wasn't a teacher for long enough i'm angry that he represents me and which is a good it's a fun argument capital. like it's the a, best thing about the best thing about having Democrats completely in control is it just comes down to coffee house bickering. Listen, the best thing that ever happened to Democrats is that they wanted to get the Speaker of the House shit taken care of fast so they could make sure that like all their ducks were in a row for all to dealing with all the Republican nonsense that was going to come. Because remember when Nancy Pelosi was like up for speakership? What was that? Is that 18? When she was was 18. Or when, would have been leading into 19. There was this really protracted fight about who was going to be Speaker of the House. And like, it was almost like an election where people were bad mouthing other people in the press about like, you know, qualifications for being Speaker or whatever. Um, we didn't do any of that. We were yeah, just, just like, like we have bigger fish to fry. Let's just fry the fish. She, she agreed this move her last term, right? I think. Or that, that she, she said it was her last term? I don't know. Was it her last term or like she agrees? That, no, I think like, they said that it was her last I think, term. I, yeah. No, I think, was it last term or like when she's, when Democrats lose power, she won't come back? Well, I can't Maybe, I think that's... that, I, know, I feel like a lot of the writing has been last term centric, like that she's, you know, not going to do this again. Well, so the most exciting thing about this is like the common liberal will discuss the fact that like Merrick Garland is becoming AG because they want another seat open in the circuit court because the circuit court's really important for a pathway to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Stephen Breyer is going to resign. We're gonna, you're going to get Jackson or most likely Jackson in there. We're going to have another spot in the D.C. courts. And, right. you know, this is what the regular liberal does. <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to it. Let's get 14 days. Let's try to put this shit behind us. Let's 13. Pros- 13. Let's, 13 pros- days. let's prosecute some people. Uh, let's go. Uh, if you want to <laughs> talk about politics, you can do so everywhere on Twitter. Literally, In- including our account, including our account. But if every you just want to, every you, some stuff. But especially if you want to tell Tom how much of a fucking asshole he is that he doesn't appreciate Alex Garland, you can do so at Film Pivotal. Or you can email us at pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail.com or you can go to pivotalfilm.com and you can see a list of the movies on our Pivotal Film list and the beers that we drank and how to subscribe. Uh, next week, um, we'll talk about it. I don't know what's coming, but just drink uh, beers, watch movies, drink beers, and we'll talk to you next week.